Hello everyone, welcome to take two. Thank you for tuning in or watching in later, whatever the case may be. Um, as we get started, a couple things to let you guys know. Uh, one is, this is where we meet every Wednesday, 7 p.m., and also where we meet Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If you want to follow us, you can come here to YouTube and see this at those two times. Also, Sunday mornings, I uh, want to uh, let you know that, again, if you need to be someplace on Sunday, if you're going through some things and you need to be here, you can be here. It's not like we have so many people, we are worried about health issues, uh, you can be here. Or if you know someone who needs to be here and maybe they're not able to tune in, please let them know they are welcome here. We have masks, we can socially distance, and we will be opening up outdoors very soon where we can have people uh, sitting outside uh, together but separated um, but at least start gathering in that way in some capacity here soon we'll let you know more about the exact dates as that comes up one other thing before we get started i want to let you know about is next thursday not tomorrow but the following thursday i believe it's the 18th we are going to be taking food again to the people at ER at San Antonio Hospital. Uh, that's going to be uh, for their uh, morning and evening uh, groups. It's actually, I think it's at 11 o'clock. It's when the early shift, they are there from, I think, 7 uh, in the evening to 7 in the morning, um, and then 7 in the morning to 7 at night. I think those are the two shifts. So we do 11 p.m. and 8 p.m. We're going to be taking them food. We're going to be providing a total of 50 meals to the people who are there at San Antonio ER, even as we did last time. And I'm saying all this because if you would like to contribute towards that, you can by uh, maybe uh, writing out on the however you do donate uh, that for food for the ER, whatever you want to do for the nurses, uh, let us know, and that money will be going towards that. We plan on doing that uh, for a while until they are alleviated. Again, they have two giant tents outside. They have a COVID and a non-COVID tent, and it's a little bit crazy uh, for them having to work in that environment. And again, they're pretty slammed right now where their beds are full, and they have people in the hallways, and their rooms are full. So we want to do what we can to show appreciation for them during that time. So, with that being said, hello Eileen. Uh, we've got, again here, Jordan Jarnigan. Um, I, I know I introduced you, Jordan, last time briefly. I mean, Jordan used to do uh, lead the philosophy and critical thinking classes that mm -hmm. you had here. And we met through a mutual friend, through Brian, mm -hmm. our mutual friend. Um, maybe you can tell a little bit about how you ended up here and even how you found out that this was a church, because I think that's kind of a, a funny story. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah, talk about working in mysterious ways. Um, I guess a long time ago, I'm almost 30 now, but uh, when I was entering into my 20s, I had this kind of crisis of faith thing and um, kind of dropped Christianity. I've been grown in Christianity like my whole life. But um, for lots of different reasons, I just didn't really 
have too much faith. And for like for 10 years, I was living and going to college and all that kind of stuff. Moved to Seattle. And when I moved back, I uh, was kind of in a state of depression. And my mom was like, you're like a creative person. You should go be around creative people because that makes you happy. And so she was pestering me to go out. And I ended up at this place called Intention because Will, or MC Prototype, was somebody I knew back in college. And he's one of the two people that set up Intention. And Brian happens to be the other person. Mm -hmm. So um, I like go, and I'm like, okay, this is cool. And I'm watching good performances and stuff. If Intention ever comes back, I highly suggest you guys go there. It's like an open mic, but everybody is handpicked, so it's good performances all night. <laughs> uh, and so, Which is uh, appreciated. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so I go, and I go a few times, and one of the times at the end, Brian ends up uh, saying, hey, uh, we have this platform here called Intention for artists that can perform. And we want to help give platforms to other artists that don't necessarily perform so that we can, like, um, kind of give a spotlight to everybody in our community. So I'm starting a school. And if you want to help teach, you should come and, and talk to me. And at the time, uh, I thought Brian was kind of like a famous poet guy that I didn't know. So I was nervous to talk to him, number one. And number two, like, I wasn't thinking that I was going to teach a class. I just thought it was a cool community thing. I went to approach him. I was like, yo, if you need help, like, setting up chairs... Or doing something, yeah, let me know. And I was, and he was like, you want to teach a class? And uh, long story short, uh, I talked to him, I pitched this uh, philosophy and critical thinking workshop idea, which I call PACT, that's the acronym for it. He said, cool, and I started teaching these classes at Genesis, which I thought was just some venue for, uh, <laughs> for whatever Brian was doing. And then I met Sam, and Sam got... Uh, introduced to me as the guy that runs Genesis, so I thought he was like the landlord. <laughs> and um, I was trying to like make a good impression so he didn't kick me out. Um, then he showed up to one of the the PAC sessions, the workshops, and he was being very engaged and stuff, and I was like, okay, this is cool. And then he starts like using a bunch of like Christian references and asking questions from that kind of mindset, and I was like, that's very interesting that he's he's very like that. And it was fine because we're open to ideas and stuff. But uh, we have a conversation afterwards. Turns out he's a pastor. Turns out uh, he's the lead pastor of a church, and we're physically in that church during that conversation. It's just like, whoa. So I, uh, I really respected Sam's point of views, his willingness to be open and, and even invite something like Pact into uh, his church. And it got me to thinking like, He's so interesting to talk to during the workshops. I bet if he's doing sermons or what he calls talks, those are probably interesting too. So I started listening to those, and now I'm kind of a member of Genesis. <laughs> it's great, and Jordan helps out every Sunday just about here uh, with the video and setup and those things too. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a natural transition for him to be here, to be helping, and to, again, since I've heard you talk and we talk uh, often, even after our you know talk on YouTube, where we still have conversations afterwards, uh, I wanted to bring him in. And I, I love that story because the whole idea of church is something we're trying to uh, recreate or, or to recapture, right? Where it's not a place you go, but it's a people who are a part of a movement. 
you know, and the, the role or title of pastor is something that I'm trying to, again, uh, re reimagine and see in a way that I think is more what it was intended to be than a person who's a leader of a, a building group of people to someone who connects people to God and lets God do most of the work, you know, but is definitely leading the responsibility uh, in that group uh, to help connect and facilitate those things. And so uh, all those things, you know, you didn't know I was a pastor, didn't know this was a church. Uh, I, I love that. I, I love that because when you found out it was kind of the very organic way of finding out, it would be like, I think it should be instead of, oh, here's the steeple and here's the cross and here's the all the scripture stuff on the walls, you know. It, it should be something that happens from the people that you encounter that you say, oh, okay, this is what's going on. These people think, believe, live like this. And, and so I, I think that's great. Now, from that time... Um, I'm going to press into your story a little bit where you were in college, uh, kind of uh, removed from the faith. What's been the journey from that point to today? I mean, for you? Um, well, I, I would like to first say that in my mind, there's, there's a very big separation between religion and faith. Okay. Where religion is like stuff that humans do, and faith is something that you do between you and the divine. Okay. Um, and... I would say that my religion was very low over time, I think, while I was um, like a child and a teenager growing up into a young adult. I had been in a church. I had always wanted a church to be a certain thing where we could talk about ideas, question things, grow, and, um, I don't know, like be real people. And I always <laughs> felt that you had to dress up on Sundays to come to church or mm -hmm. else people would look at you weird like if you were in sweatpants you weren't allowed to come to church and that was always weird to me as a kid because like when I read the Bible it said and I did read the Bible to try and figure out why I didn't understand what church was um, <laughs> I was always confused like this said like your body is the temple so why are you going to dress up for two hours a week um, and when I asked my uh, Sunday school teacher that when I was like seven I got put on time out um, oh, gosh. <laughs> and so I had these kind of experiences where I would try to figure out stuff and I would try to ask questions and I would be punished or told to be quiet or, you know, just trust God and stuff like that. And it, it just seemed so like different than what I was reading in the Bible that I kind of put it away. Hmm. But I wouldn't say I necessarily put my faith away, even though I put the Bible away. Okay. And then moving forward from that now, from since you put that away, have you taken it back up? What's going on in you currently? Oh, yeah. I um, I feel very blessed to have met Sam. I remember the first conversation I had with him <laughs> as a pastor. I had, like, a few conversations before, and then I, like, you know, got revealed that he was a pastor. And uh, <laughs> we were talking about what church is and what it should be. And I remember talking to him. He's the first person I've ever talked about that had an idea like anywhere similar to what I had as a child of what church should be. Mm. And um, it was strange. Um, mm. And I was, I don't know, it felt like relief of something like you've been suspicious about something your whole life. Mm. And I was like, I knew this was real. <laughs> and I, and uh, That's cool. It's It's been, since then, I've been going to church, I think, almost every 
week. I watch some church sermons online. I read the Bible all the time. And um, this, I think, has been really interesting because the perspective or the kind of atmosphere that is that is at Genesis has, I feel, um, made me more willing to let the faith and let the Bible speak for itself rather than trying to force it to fit something. Mm-hmm. And I've been, when I read the Bible now, it's like, it's way different. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And that's great to be a part of this journey with you. I mean, it's been exciting for me to see those things develop and get to know you and to be here sitting with you. Um, I, I think it's been good. I mean, and when I was putting together the talk from Sunday, I remember when I kind of fin- finally figured, okay, this is what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, I thought, I want Jordan to talk with me on take two after this, just for those reasons, because of what, all the things that you okay. said and you journeyed. And, you know, this idea of why Christian, you know, for me, I I highlighted a a couple of things that have stood out to me. And I can't say that this has always been the case, but it's definitely been something that's uh, grabbed my attention, held me, and has captured not only my imagination, but my devotion. And, And that's been the paradox of shame and the reversal of sacrifice that I mentioned about that. Um, they are so, it's so much like what I experience in life, that it makes so much sense that God would be a part of something this real, if I could put it in that way. Something that it gets to the root of, I think, who I am, what I need, and what I've experienced that strikes me as divine. And that's kind of why I I gravitated to these things. But I'd like to throw the ball in your court and get some input from your listening to it on Sunday or through the week if you have. Um, Anything that stood out to you or questions that you have regarding any of those things? Okay. Well, um, like I am here every Sunday behind the cameras. Like, if you ever see the uh, the music lyrics mess up, that's me. Um, <laughs> but uh, to be honest, like, I only half listen during the sermons because I'm, like, also half working. Um, okay. So I always have to listen again. That's okay. <laughs> Keep doing that, please. <laughs> but it's good. It gives me a chance to, like, um, uh, think and ponder and kind of reflect on it. So... It's, it's, I think it's a good thing. But um, this, I would say the biggest impact on me is I think sometimes we tend to have, uh, there's like knowledge, and then there's like understanding, and then there's like revelation. But I think those are like progressions into a topic. And you tend to know something, but then like you realize it's true and it becomes real to you. It's not just like something that you read on a fortune cookie or something like that. Um, now, is that experientially, or how does that change? I'm not sure what you mean. Well, something that you are aware of, have information about, to something that you know or you kind of know, what is the transition between just the awareness and the more deeper understanding? Uh, 
I think it could come in different ways. I think most of the time it comes uh, through experience. Okay. So like uh, my dad, when I was like a little kid, back when like a dollar was a lot of money, he used to be like, money out of sight causes a fight. He wouldn't add anything to that. It was just like he was telling me like little poems. Uh-huh. And now that phrase is like, before I do anything with my money with other people, it's like, he also used to say, uh, don't let anybody borrow anything that you're not ready to give away. Um, and you go through experiences and you're like, I see why that's true. And it's, it's for a lot, I think when you're on the far side of something, on the realization side, you understand different reasons for things. Like, uh, like when you learn martial arts, like somebody that goes into martial arts usually uh, starts because they want to like learn how to fight. Mm-hmm. And then you get far enough into it, hopefully, that you learn that it's about not fighting. Mm-hmm. And that's that realization point where you're like, oh, I'm doing all of this so that I never have to fight. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between like knowing it and like realizing it and, and like it being a part of you. And um, the the thing that kind of was brought up in in the talk on Sunday that like kind of hit me, and I was thinking a lot about odd that I never connected this, but crucifixion is basically lynching. Um, yeah. And that was like, whoa, yeah, they kind of line up pretty good. Um, yeah. And crucifixion seems like this far off thing that Mel Gibson tried to bring a little closer, but um, it still seemed like Star Wars-y, kind of like not real. Yeah. But um, lynching to me seems very real, and it, it brought the idea of crucifixion, at least in my mind, as to something that's like more tangible. Not mm. necessarily I didn't believe it or this didn't happen or that didn't happen, but like it kind of forced me to empathize with the situation more. Mm. And I wouldn't say that I know anybody that's been lynched, but I will say that I have been in situations where I felt like that could happen to me. I've had people chase me around with guns. I've had people try and throw me in vans. Um, Mm. I've had people say very strange things to me. And that, that to me, is a real experience. Like, I've never really experienced any crucifixion stuff. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, yeah. We kind of got past that, but yeah. But the understanding of, of power being abusive, mm-hmm. right, um, and just having that kind of ability to take away something and the injustice of it and the crime of it and, you know, even the shame of what all that looks like, um, I think captures it a little bit more than what we have as far as the paintings and the movie presentation. I mean, even as I was reading and studying this, a a revelation to me was that crucifixion happens more in eye level than elevated, right? And I was like, holy cow, that's that's weird. You know, to think you're walking down and you see someone you know right there and you're able to have that kind of close interaction with someone who is in that much pain and going through all that is a whole different level of reality I think than I was used to experiencing you know or dealing with mentally which is the whole point of this right it's the whole point of that kind of tangibility whether it be the understanding of lynching or being more closely connected to what's happening than it being distant 2,000 years away or high up on a cross you know it's 
changes the perception and makes it a little bit more, uh, I don't know, horrific. Yeah. And to me, like, because I listen to this podcast called Hardcore History, which uh, the guy that does that, Dan Carlin, he really tries to, like, um, before he tells you what happened, he really tries to plop you out of whatever year you live in and put mm. you in that year and in that mindset and then those people and really say, like, before you think this is crazy, this is how this worked and all this other da, da, da. Yeah. Now that we know a little bit about that, let's let's look at what actually happened. And, yeah, the, the tangibility of something is very different. Like, I was uh, – I'm reading through Judges this week, uh, the oh. book. And, like, I was reading through Samson last night, the story of Samson. And uh, the Bible I have has, like um, – notes in regular English, like commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was talking about when Samson was at that party that he like brought the temple down. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, yeah, this was this kind of thing where people would come and they bring out prisoners to like torture them for fun. And then all of the poor people would literally be on the, the roof of the temple looking in because like the middle of the temple was open to like watch people get tortured because they're bored and that's something you do. <laughs> and this is like your feet away from this person. They're like, it's not just, you see it on TV. It's like there's the smell of it. You can hear the yells. Some, like you can feel yeah. the presence. You, they can look you in the eye and stuff like this. And this was normal. This was not, oh my gosh, you went to that? Like this was, oh yeah, you're, are you coming? Yeah, yeah it's like you're going to the show or something. And like the, the whole experience of it and the whole mindset of the people back then, um, I, I can't stress is like, is, is different. And I don't want to say like, I'm better than them. Like, we don't do that anymore because we definitely, like, lynching still happens. But, um, yeah. It's but there's a, definitely been a progress, thankfully. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> there, there, and there's, I mean, it's a human progress, right? I mean, it's not just a religious one. Definitely, it's something that we see humanity moving from places where it moves forward, um, from where, you know, human sacrifice or this kind of torturing that was entertainment, you know even though they're still torturing and there's still slavery and there's still all kinds of horrific things happening, it is not in the same level, the same mindset. Now at least the majority of society frowns upon those things, right? Um, There's been an evolution of how we interact with one another, and so thankfully. But understanding that gives you a whole lot of insight to what was actually happening. Yeah. And that's very important to bring into your narrative when you're reading something like that or dealing like with crucifixion, you know, because I mean, the whole idea of the cross to us now becomes something we sing songs about the cross. Um, You know, it becomes, Oh, the beautiful, the wondrous cross, you know, I don't know if anyone in the first century would have sung those songs at that time. You know, it's like, oh, the wonderful cross. It's like, what are you talking about? You know, this is not a wonderful thing. You know, my friend is out there right now. You know, this isn't a wonderful thing. It's only when we're removed and we're able to look back on it in a different way that we can pull out of it things that have the ability to change that meaning. But we shouldn't lose. Yeah. the meaning in that way like perspective wise I would say being in the middle of something and being someone that watches it from 
outside, like you're safe and nothing's going to happen to you, you can't participate, are way different. Mm -hmm. And it's super hard to empathize or to, to, to really get a feel for what it's like to have that pressure on you. Um, I read an interesting thing the other day where um, there's there's a take on empathy where it's your attempt to simulate what's happening in somebody else. Mm. And it could be way wrong. Um, yeah. Just because you have empathy doesn't mean it's good. You can like be way off base and think or try and simulate a feeling and be incorrect. And the, the article was arguing that's what happens most of the time because it's – it's almost absurd to argue that most people are correct most of the time. Mm. Um, but uh, perspective-wise, I, I was reading this thing where uh, it was talking about the fear of God. I think it was in some devotionals that mm-hmm. I was doing. And um, that, that term I'm bringing up, because it always struck me as kind of strange, um, because during my younger years, I was grown up in the, the, the good and evil, where certain yeah. things were good, like, Fear is bad. Uh, hell is bad. Heaven is good. Grace is good. Um, right. But then you, you say, have the fear of God, but don't be afraid. And um, I've been getting more into this mindset of uh, there is what I've heard been called a kingdom perspective on everything. Mm-hmm. Because everything God made everything. Um, and so there's a way that God looks at everything. And it includes all the stuff we think is ungodly. Um, there's mm-hmm. a godly version of everything and or a godly way to look at it or use it. Um, and fear, like the fear of God is being um, so in awe of God that you're afraid to do anything to, to displease him. Mm-hmm. And that fear of displeasing him or doing something bad in his sight is what kind of keeps you in line and keeps you doing the right thing. That's what I understand the fear of God to be. That, mm-hmm. that could be way off. That's my understanding. That's my simulation. <laughs> uh, but in this case, uh, shame came up a lot in the talk that you were talking about. And I was um, trying to put in my head, like, well, what what is a kingdom perspective on shame? And am I getting caught up because I am having a mindset that is not working for me. And that's, that's why this is, this is a paradox. Hmm. And, and I think so much has been revealed with shame, especially like, you know, the research Brene Brown has done on shame and how it affects us, how it keeps us from becoming wholehearted, she says, hmm. right? Because our idea of shame and us not being worthy of love not being worthy of something because of who we think we are it is what stops people from trying and, and that the people who are actually vulnerable who are willing to go past the shame are able to come through the other side and find depth in relationships because they're willing to risk it you know um, and so I think in, in that regard, this idea of shame being, oh, you're despised, you're, you're no good, you're a criminal, um, you're worthy of this punishment, uh, you're not worthy of love or those kinds of things is what keeps people from actually getting to that kind of depth and relationships and finding meaning in their life because they see themselves as not good enough. What if that place where we're not good enough is actually where God says, I'll meet you here? 
right? And I, I will, I'll take you right here and I'll, I'll see you're not good enough and meet you with love, you know? And, and that's kind of what I had in mind with this idea of shame and the things that take place in that. Okay. You bringing up shame, I don't, I think contrast is the wrong word, but that's the word in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, and love kind of in the same, uh, part of this conversation. And to me is like, if you have, and I'm going to say kingdom perspective. Okay. Uh, if you have the kingdom perspective on one thing that influences another thing, but the other thing you don't have a kingdom perspective on, that could still mess you up. Because if I think, if I, my definition of love is the worldly definition of love, mm -hmm. but I have a kingdom definition of shame, I still might not seek love because I see love incorrectly, even though I'm standing from the correct place in shame. Okay. Um, sorry, it's super complicated. But, uh, shame I think it's the the idea of you were saying um, like in the old school days of like sacrifice like Old Testament days um, mm -hmm. like I did bad so you know shame on me so I gotta go like kill a lamb or something like that or burn some bread mm -hmm. and then yay I can go do bad, more bad stuff until, <laughs> um, until I need to do another sacrifice and that's like I did something bad. I need to give an offering because there's shame on me, mm -hmm. and I brought it on myself by my actions. Or sometimes you're saying, like, you know, my, my son brought it on me. Yeah. Some, something connected me brought shame. But the idea of Jesus is, um, I, as far as I get it, is I did something shameful, or I am going to be a sinner. I'm doing all this sinny stuff is bad. <laughs> and Jesus, who doesn't wasn't even a part of that, comes down or comes over mm -hmm. to be by me and share in that and to kind of share that load and take that burden, I think it changes the idea of shame because it removes blame. Hmm. And it becomes a totally different concept hmm. because he knows he's not at fault and everybody knows he's not at fault. Yeah. Um, and to do that, I think it lifts the shame because... Shame, I think, is like we think of words of like stigma, mm -hmm. and stigma to me is like you're that, yeah, and that's blame. And if you can remove the blame, the action still remains, but it's kind of like you've taken out the part that's the bad part. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's hard to divide that line between blame and shame because they, they kind of married together in some ways and some things might be considered shameful. But I, I think what Jesus is doing is identifying with us there and saying, even though mm -hmm. it, it's okay, you know, even though you did this, you know, the woman caught in adultery, um, I don't condemn you, you know? And so the, the blame or the weight of the blame is like, yeah, I, I'm not going to hold that you, I'm not going to hold that on you. Right. And so I think that point is, is important because if, if in the kingdom perspective, I'm not being blamed, but instead God is saying, no, I, I can meet you here and I can take the blame so that, 
it's not your weight, but I'll, I'll identify with that weight. Um, it changes everything. You know, it changes how you see God. It changes how you see your relationship with God and interaction with him. Uh, and going back to even your, your fear analogy, when you're afraid of something, it, it makes your world smaller, right? Because I'm afraid to uh, be up high. I, I don't go up ladders, right? I, so my world is a little smaller because I don't do that. If I'm afraid, you know, of small places, I stay out of them. So my world's a little bit smaller. But when you are afraid and... That's not the same word as fear, but when you have that fear of God, it actually makes your world bigger because if I fear God, I don't need to fear anything else. Yeah. When, when I train dogs and I have a dog that's very fearful, I, I try and get the dog to be more afraid of me than the skateboard or whatever else is going on. Because if the dog's afraid of me, I can be more important than the skateboard and teach the dog how to get past it, hmm. right? And, and so the whole point of you be afraid of me isn't because I'm bad. It's because I know it's best for you and I'm going to help you live a more a life that's more encompassing of everything because I will help you past all those other fears. And so I, I think that same thing kind of happens in this idea of shame and being afraid of, oh no, look at who I am, look at what I've done, and God saying, no, I'll, I'll meet you here. All you need to do is worry about me, and I'll take care of everything else. And so there's kind of a freedom that's there, like when Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Free of what? Free to be me, including my mistakes, right? Including my way out thoughts, you know, including my you know, idiosyncrasies and all those things that are a little quirky that, you know, are different, you know, that might make me feel ashamed of those things. If I don't have to think about those things as being, you know, blamed for or afraid of those things, um, and if that's where God is going to meet me, it's a real freeing thing in that regard, you know. And I think that's kind of what I, I feel from the idea of cross. If crucifixion is where God chooses to connect to me, then he can connect to me anywhere. You know, it's kind of my thought on that. It's just like, heck, if that's where you want to meet me in this place, you can meet me anywhere. Make sense? Or what are your yeah. thoughts? I see the wheels turning in your brain. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard to get them to stop. But um, oh, I was thinking about uh, something sprung out to me as a, as like important that I feel may get like glossed over if we don't talk about it. But um, so Jesus comes to sit with you where you're at and not blame you but to be with you and help you with your burdens. Mm -hmm. But what he always does, in my experience, um, of reading the Bible, because every time you read the Bible, it's a different book. Um, 
But uh, he always acknowledges what happened. He never ignores anything. He mm -hmm. like almost always says it out loud. He always mm -hmm. like creates it in the reality. He names the elephant in the room, but mm -hmm. he doesn't blame you for it. And I think that's the acknowledgement of the thing, of the stigma, of the blameworthy item, mm -hmm. and then not giving the blame. Just not giving the blame, I don't think is, is good because then if I didn't acknowledge it, then there could be a possibility like in my mind that maybe he doesn't know or uh, mm. maybe he's just not saying it, but he really yeah. is blaming me. But when you acknowledge it, I think that's so powerful that you're saying, when you say even though, or I'm aware of this, or you've yeah. had five husbands. Um, right. It's like, wow, this guy knows all my dirt. This this person yeah. is really here for the real me. They're not here for the Instagram me. They're not here for right. the, the family Easter photo me. This is the real me, and they're not blaming me, and they're accepting me. And I think that, in terms of liberation, is like the acknowledgement is, the, is key to freedom and key to you being you. Mm. Because if he didn't do that, he's not from how I think he's not um, he's not coming to lift the shame off of you if he doesn't acknowledge you. Yeah. He has to actually spell out what who he's dealing with and then yeah. deal with it. No, that, that's huge. That's a huge and important part. If you don't name it, um, then you don't own it. And if you don't own it, then how can you be delivered from it, right? I mean, and that really has to do even with the analogy of you know, it's it's not the healthy, but the sick who need a physician, right? If you don't know you're sick, you don't look for the help to get past it. It's only when you recognize that, you know, I haven't come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous to repentance to to change those things. I mean, there there is what Scripture talks about a, a circumcision of the heart, right? Okay. Where where God has to to deal with operate on something within us and he can only do that if it's there and we acknowledge it's there mm -hmm. right and so that is definitely an important part of the whole idea of crucifixion is to deal with what is there in us i mentioned ego i mean i think mm -hmm. pride is well c.s lewis said pride is the sin from where all sins come you know, it really is the the big sin. You know, it is pride that made the devil a devil kind of a thing. And if I think that is the root that gets dealt with also in the idea of crucifixion because he emptied himself. There, there was no ego there. And this is your example, have this mind that was in Christ you know, and, and that's contrary to that thing in me that needs to be dealt with. And, and it reveals, it calls out, it names that thing in me, I think, mm -hmm. in a very personal way by an example of, see this? That's what you need to be. And it's like, oh, man, I'm so not like that. You know, I, I've got so much ego that for me to think of others is more important than myself, for me to deny myself and to humble myself and to have that idea where I despise the shame that's going to be put on me because this is more important, that calls it out in a big way. you know. And I think, I think that is important, though, because if I don't think I have any of those things, 
the alcoholic who says, yeah, I'm just here because, you know, it's, yeah, I don't have a drink problem. I just like to come to the meetings. Yeah, the, the judges make me come. But it's, just, <laughs> yeah, it's not it, real. <laughs> yeah, it's not a problem for me. I just, yeah, I just like the coffee. Um, yeah, you're not going to get help if you don't acknowledge it. You don't deal with it. That was like, because uh, you, I don't know if you're finished with it, but you were working on that series about calling in. We had mm -hmm. the whiteboard and those four mm -hmm. quadrants. Um, and you're talking about it. And when I have conversations, like I think that the, the, the beauty of conversations with other people that are willing to be open and vulnerable with you is that you guys get to work on a project together, which is the conversation. Mm. By you both contributing and sharpening each other, like I'll be talking and then Sam will be like, oh, yeah, this. Yeah. He never would have thought that unless we had the conversation. Right. So, um, I was thinking in terms of uh, Jesus is doing the call in thing, and if you if you go through the three years that Jesus is running around and like saving people and doing miracles and stuff, um, he like never forces anybody to get miracles and never mm. forces anybody to get saved. And you have to like meet him. You have to come in when he's calling in. He's like, come. He's calling you, but you have yeah. to you have to come. And in terms of the shame and the, um, the blame uh, and the acknowledgement, if I don't acknowledge what's going on, Jesus won't acknowledge what's going on. And it's, it's, it can be very scary because, like, I think in our, in our daily or in our regular experience, acknowledging something blameworthy invites blame. Mm. Um, and so we don't want to do that. But it's the only way to deal with the real because that's what it is. And by being vulnerable and opening up, and you have to do some work first by admitting it or actualizing it or creating it in the space, then it can be dealt with. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Jesus calls us to be, in terms of him leading by example and us being Christ-like, it's um, to allow people space to be vulnerable and open up and then not immediately chastise them or immediately tell them to go to AA. Mm -hmm. um, it's to sit with them and be with them. Yeah. And, but it, 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 it does involve work from both sides. It can't mm -hmm. only come from one side. Yeah. No, that, that, that's, that's kind of focusing even more on that call. In, and, and that's kind of really what I'm going to be talking about in, in the next few weeks is about dealing with the want the desire that Jesus is always trying to get to the desire of people. And we always focus on kind of the words, the things that we say, this is my belief system. This is what I think we focus on. This is what I do. It's kind of a religious thing, right? Here's the things I believe. Here's how I show those beliefs. But underneath the surface is the wants. This is what I really want. And Jesus wants those all three. He doesn't just want these two. He wants underneath the surface and your desire. And so he'll ask, what do you want? Right? Like the sons of thunder, you know. Hey, Jesus, can we ask you whatever we want? And he's like, yeah, what do you want? You know, I, I love that he leans into that question. If someone asks me, can I have whatever I want? I'd say, probably not. You know, I mean, I'd probably say, <laughs> probably not. But he goes, well, what do you want? I, I feel like he's like, I'm intrigued. What do you want? Because it's not many people that really tell me what they want, you know. Um, and he does it with Peter and he does it with Judas. Um, so it's really interesting that 
the want is something that we tend to, uh, you know, demonize. Oh, my wants are bad. I can't have those wants. And we just tend to keep them under the surface where Jesus is wanting to integrate them with the whole of who we are. And I think that's an important part of that call in is if I'm going to call you in, I got to call all of who you are. And that includes what it is you want. And if you don't know what you want, and if you won't name what you want, then you're not being real here. You know, like the rich ruler who went away sad because what he really liked was his money. You know, it's like, let me sell everything, follow me. Ah, that's not what I want. You know, and he got called out on that. Um, ben asked a question, if the cross was a symbol of shame, what do you guys think Jesus meant by pick up your cross daily? Uh, uh, in terms of something being one thing, mm-hmm. I think that's we can look at it from that perspective. I'm gonna answer from that perspective, but mm-hmm. uh, I think the cross could be a lot of things. Um, yeah. But in terms of it being a symbol of shame, I, I would say it's kind of what we're talking about, where mm-hmm. it's it's the symbol of Jesus coming to meet us as humans Hmm. and us humans are these dirty ugly really mean creatures that kind of destroy everything we touch Hmm. um and the cross is this this symbol of how to deal with that what do you do with with dogs that bite and attack people what do you do with with uh with people that murder people like when when you look at how you deal with certain things a lot of times we put it away, and we put it away in a way where it tells everybody not to do that if it's a if, if it's a behavior we don't like. And by Jesus doing that and not really being deserving of that, he's not, I would say, what most of the people that get crucified are, what, like he's, it's not that the shame is on something he did. He's being put there and trying people are trying to put shame on him Mm. and by him taking the shame i think that makes it even deeper because normally it's like Mm. i have shame then jesus comes and takes my shame but people are trying to put shame on jesus and he's like okay um yeah yeah i I think that's at the heart of it right when he says take up your cross daily it's like act like jesus you know who who was sacrificial and is loving and giving not worried about the ego um but giving elevating others more than himself, having a kingdom mentality. This is the right thing to do. Your will be done, not mine. All those things are part of that. I think taking up the cross daily is a part of that. You know, we, we say, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. We're dying to ourselves. All, all that terminology is, I think, similar in that it's trying to capture a little bit of what Jesus actually did of, emptying himself, sacrificing himself for others, giving of himself for others. And so I, I think that's what's meant by picking up your cross. And I think it's good that you, it's not just a symbol of shame. It definitely was, but it's also a symbol of sacrifice now, looking at how Jesus did it as well. So anyway, Ben, hope that answers your question, Ben. Uh, any other th- thoughts you have or things that you want to kind of throw on the table and 
talk about from what you heard or things? Well, I think um, one of like the like the underlying themes of this conversation is like uh, looking at things non-traditionally. So we're looking at shame in a way that uh, I guess most people don't typically look at shame. Mm. We talk about fear a little bit. Um, and this, in my mind, is like the renewing of your mind kind of thing. Mm. That idea where don't be so entrenched in just because I was raised this way or my mom always did this, like this, this is right. And it's not only that something is right or wrong, but um, is it serving you or is it serving the Lord? And sometimes it's okay to have bunch of different perspectives about the same thing and by having 10 different perspectives it helps you do the right thing at the right time like you have different radio stations and it helps you listen to different songs when certain radio stations are like out of range and stuff like that Mm. um and i was i was gonna bring up fear again because uh you were talking about uh your experience with dogs and fear and uh, one of the things I think about fear is, like, I rock climb outdoors, and it can be like, rather dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. And what I've thought about fear, because there's been this, like, don't look down mentality, especially, like, when you're a couple of hundred feet up and there's no ropes and you fall and, you know, you're going to fall a couple hundred feet or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying do that. You know, make sure <laughs> that you're safe and uh, you do what's within your level. But... Um, what I've noticed about fear in my life is that while I think a lot of people think it's something to avoid, mm-hmm. fear, I think, acts like a focus intensifier. Hmm. And it's like a laser that will, f- that will focus in on something. And if you don't force it to go somewhere, it will, it'll kind of meander and go to the lowest object. And if you're, if you're focused on the low object, like if I'm 300 feet off the wall and I look down and now I'm afraid of falling and I focus on that, now like all my energy that could be spent on climbing um, is spent on running all these scenarios of me dying. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't know if you guys have ever felt like, f- like fear coming. Like there's like a – to me, there's a time period before it's like fully set in that it's like it's what rising up in you. You're becoming afraid. Like uh, like if I'm here on top of the ladder and I'm afraid of heights and I look down, there's a couple of seconds before I get afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can, in those couple of seconds, focus myself on something else rather than continuing to focus on what I'm, af- I'm afraid of, mm-hmm. that fear can help me because now it's focused over here. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, instead of taking things... Uh, from their stigma perspective where this is a bad thing we should not do this we should not behave this way it's like this is this is a creation of god god made all things and how is this useful like to me fear helps me focus i just have to like manage it and it's not something that's bad and that somebody can shame me for like i think a lot of times we tend to make ourselves less than we are by taking negative perspectives of things And um, I don't know if you guys have ever had coaches, either for dieting or for exercise or whatnot, Mm -hmm. but I think they're kind of modeling Christ-like behavior within the realm that they're a coach because they look at all of you. They look at how fat you are, how out of shape you are, how not flexible you are, and they're not like, oh, you should – well, a good coach is like, (laughs) oh, you should not – you should stretch more of this. They're like – Oh, well, you're that flexible? Well, here's an exercise that can work for me. Yeah. Oh, you can only run that far? Okay, well, then we'll run that far. And – by looking at what you have and using what you have rather than saying, 
oh, uh, I can't do this because of that reason, or I'm shamed because of that reason. It's, uh, well, okay, I have shame. How can I use that? Or what's a good way to look at through my shame? Hmm. Yeah, to use it in a way that's going to move you further and not just leave you there. Yeah. Um, there's actually a song that says, Blessed is the man who fears always. So just that idea of like, what? You know, <laughs> be afraid. But again, it depends on your focus, right? What, what is it you're fearing? And, and the whole idea of that psalm is devotion, right? Blessed is the man who's devoted to God always, right? And so having a mentality that's higher than, bigger than the picture that you are stuck in helps you to get past it, whether it's like, okay, this is the shame I'm in, knowing that, you know, there there is no sin that ha, that isn't common to man that Jesus hasn't dealt with. Okay, so it's not just me. Right? I, I, I'm not the only one who's here. So instead of ignoring it, denying it, pretending it's not there, I can acknowledge it, name it, and allow it to help me grow and move past it. Kind of something like that. Yeah, I think that's the... Uh... Go pick up your mat and go home, like after that guy gets lowered down from the roof yeah. and gets healed. And it's like all that stuff, like the mat that you were laying on, the, the place that you were at while you were paralyzed or whatever. This is a story in the Bible where that guy, there's like a, Jesus telling this sermon or whatever to a bunch of people in a crowded house. And these guys want their friend to get healed by Jesus, but the house is too crowded. So they go on top of a stranger's house somehow and then break his roof open somehow, <laughs> and then lower this guy down right in front of Jesus. Jesus heals him, and then before he leaves, he says, pick up your mat and go with you. And I think it's, it's, it's about that where hmm. you, God can use what you have. And if you're trying to um, have God use the possessions of your Instagram version of yourself, that version is not real. Right. So God can't use that. He has to use what you have and who you are. Yeah. And um, sometimes if that's shameful, sometimes if that's depressed, sometimes if that's sad or regretful, like regret can be an amazing reminder to stay straight. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And so maybe it's a useful tool because that's what keeps you. It, it's surprising how many people that, that act well in the world, if you really go and dig into their past story, they'll be like, oh, I wasn't always this way. Yeah. And that's kind of the reason that they're this way now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it is, and, and it really helps actually give a little bit more color to the person's story, you know, a little bit more depth. Um, you know, I mean, my mom, God bless her, and the people who know her, and, and they see her in a certain way, but I knew her growing up when she was like a hippie and like wild woman, and, you know, some of her tie-dyed outfits that are still back in the closet somewhere, you know, you start telling people about that, and they're like, what? What is that? <laughs> right? Or my wife, Corrine, when she calls me, you know, it's ACDC back in black, and they don't understand why that's her ringtone, but if, if you knew my wife like I know her, um, you'd know that's perfect for her, right? That, that was her song, um, and she loves that music. And so those kinds of things, you know, where you think, oh, no, that, that I, I don't want to be, you know, that's something I don't want to, I don't know, retain, you know, as part of my identity. It's like, you can't get rid of it. It is who you are. And it actually makes your identity bigger. 
even though that might not be, you might not ever wear that dress again or act that way again. It's still part of where you came from, kind of like Paul, you know, was Saul. And, yeah. and it's like that, that was a big part of his identity that carried him to, you know, do all the things he did. Um, without that, couldn't have done it. So, yeah, that's, I would, I can't think of a better example than the Christian killer becoming, <laughs> becoming a Christian. Yeah, yeah that's, so. that's a pretty good one. Well, gosh, it's almost been an hour, man. Um, that's flown by. That was pretty quick. Yeah, I don't know where you're looking at the... T- oh, you're looking... Okay, I kept looking at that, and I yeah. was like... <laughs> Time's uh, so slow today. No, I, I mean, that's good stuff. Good, And I, I love your focus on some of those things, like naming it. That was That's really important. Um, you know, ego was mine trying to name it for me, mm-hmm. um, but that is very important. You know, probably something I could have pinned on a little bit more. Or, or stayed on a little bit more, emphasized a little bit more, but that's great that you pointed that out. Um, and, and even just dealing with fear, because I think shame and fear go hand in hand in a lot of ways. You know, we're afraid people will see us, and that shame we don't want to have stops us from naming it, stops us from admitting it, stops us from getting better. So, good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you guys for joining us, all you here who, who commented in and those who you will be watching later. Uh, thank you for participating in this. And again, uh, we'll be here next week. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, hopefully you guys can benefit from these things. And we do want to have your comments. Appreciate you, Ben, for the question that was there. Um, I think met uh, Jordan on Brian's writing room or Zoom. Probably. I know Jordan was with us too on one of the Zoom calls with Dr. Quinlan before. Um, So probably met him there as well. Anyway, this is Jordan. Uh, You guys who don't know him, now you do. And thank you for sharing your story with us too and being a part of this and helping out every Sunday. I appreciate you. Thank you for inviting me. This is, I love having open discourse with people who are ready to be vulnerable in conversation. So I appreciate this a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, got to be vulnerable if you're going to grow. Got to be. All right. All right, guys. God bless you. Love you. Take care. And we hope to see you Sunday. Take care. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.